This is Wyman and Bob on Seattle Sports, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Now, here are your hosts, Dave Wyman and Bob Stelton. Welcome, everybody. It's Wyman and Bob, Seattle Sports on 710 and seattlesports.com. Happy Friday to everybody out there. Hopefully you enjoyed Mariner baseball, spring training baseball. They get a win in game number one. I'm pretty sure they're going to go undefeated for the entire spring and all of the regular season, Dave. 162-0 and 0 once the season starts. Seems realistic. Maybe we could borrow El Hombre's sign that he brings to Phillies games that says 162-0, and 0, and then he, he readjusts it if they Cancels lose. It. <laughs> He's yeah. got a 161-1. <laughs> yeah, there you go. No, but, man, whoa, that game that game blew by. We're going to talk to Gary Hill coming up at 3 o'clock, so we'll, we'll get his take on it. I know most people were listening to it, couldn't see it, so we'll get his uh, bird's-eye view of what was going on. But what was clear, Dave, is that was, that was quick. Holy moly. <laughs> Maybe too quick for you? Just right? How did you feel about the pace? Well, I was listening to, to Dave and, and Rick talk about how, you know, you better not look down and you better not, uh, you know, not pay attention because, I mean, it's you're going to have to get used to it. Um, I don't know. There, I think the, the fact, here's what I, I will miss probably is I always talk about it being a good sort of casual watch. Mm-hmm. You know, baseball, I mean, and, and that's what's so awesome, and that's why, you know, the runner on second and extra, and extra innings, or to me, doesn't make any sense. But, yeah, it's uh, to me, it is, uh, it's kind of a laid-back sport. You sort of sit there and have a chat, order a beer, or whatever. And now it's like, man, you, you're going to miss something. I think a lot of some of I wonder how some of the older fans feel about it that have been a baseball fan for even the young guy, uh, young people that have been a fan for a number of years that it's like you're used to like the tempo and OK, I can go to the fridge and and you know, while a pitcher is up there warming up or whatever. And yeah, it just it, it's it's going by really fast. And I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I mean, I obviously there's a lot of smart people out yeah. there that thought that this was the way to go and and what was there one violation yeah and our our radio guys i don't think caught it initially yeah because i was listening to it and then they were like hang on the counts blah 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 like you could hear the confusion oh okay manny machado basically following their own advice don't look down you're gonna miss the hand signal from the ump who pointed up and you know it's gesturing i guess to say but you know add a ball to the count so it was the the first violation of the clock and I saw a quote from Robbie Robbie Ray on on Twitter. Uh, somebody had that out there, but basically saying he could hear the ump saying, "Hey, hurry up, get in there, oh. get it." He said, "I could actually hear him saying that. Get in there, here yeah. you go." And I think you have to make eye contact. You can't be in there. Well, I'm in the box, but I'm staring at the barrel of my bat and I'm I'm readjusting right. my grip. You need to be in and make that eye contact. Uh. And if you don't within that amount of time, that's a violation. Yeah, it was Manny Machado. He got an extra strike. I wonder if that's going to be confusing to people. You and I have talked about getting used to the guy on second base, yeah. running, running it back. You know, when you come back from the bathroom, how did I get on second? Did I miss a double? Uh, yeah. But, yeah, I think that I, I wonder if that's going to be some some confusion. I thought maybe they would make like a bigger show of it. Like, yeah. That's a strike, you know, make a demonstrative call so that everybody knows. But I guess you just got to pay attention. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it was definitely a different pace. And, God and, uh, forbid you have to pay attention. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, it's that sport you want to be able to walk away from and still come back and feel like you're caught up. But yeah. we'll talk all about it again. Uh, you guys can text in. I'm curious to see what people thought of it, just listening to it, the pace of it. Did anything stand out to you? You liked it, you didn't like it. I know it's only game one of spring, but uh, any thoughts you've got on it? 866-979-3776. 
powered by Mac and Jack's Brewing Company. We'll come back, see what Gary Hill, he's part of the broadcast. He's out there front and center. Get his take on everything he saw today. That is coming up next with Wyman and Bob, Seattle Sports on 710. This is Wyman and Bob on Seattle Sports, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Now, here are your hosts, Dave Wyman and Bob Stelton. Mariners get the win in game number one of spring training, taking on their hated rivals, the heated rivals that are the San Diego Padres. Just the hate is longstanding. Goes on for decades. Vicious, vicious rivalry. Yeah, luckily there were no brawls today, but uh, we know if there were, this man would have hopped over the fence and been right in the middle of it, by God. But he's with us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Part of the broadcast crew, our buddy Gary Hill is with us. How are you, man? Oh, yeah, you know me. I am willing to fight anyone. <laughs> That's that right. is so, that is on my brand. <laughs> Gary That's right. Hill scrapper. That's yeah, right. you could you could really, you could feel the intensity and hatred between these two teams today. It was palpable in uh, the stands. I would say watch out for the A, wiry guys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and B, really nice guys. Yeah. Because then they can be really mean in a fight. That's right. That's, That's right. Gary Hill. <laughs> yes, that is a perfect description of me. Yeah, be careful. So, Gary, be careful. game one in the books, new rules in place. We already saw a clock violation. Uh, just kind of give me a summary of what how you liked it, what stood out today. Well, funny story about the clock violation. We did. We, we saw that. So the president of the National Baseball Hall of Fame was here in the building today, Josh Rowich, and I was talking to him right after, joking, like, well, you're going to get the baseball, right? And bring it to the hall of fame we saw the first violation in baseball history thinking it was a funny joke and he goes oh we're gonna get a scoreboard for the hall of uh, scorebook for the hall of fame so it's like oh they are actually taking artifact <laughs> we saw baseball history today at the ballpark That's which right. is great uh you know it was funny that because to me this is the biggest story of the spring right is all the different rule changes and just how the game is going to look and it's kind of our first viewing of it this spring so to me is we move through this thing. It's going to be really interesting to watch. It's funny, though, how quickly the uh, timer just kind of faded into the background of the game, and you didn't really notice it. And we did see one violation, but the game kind of zipped along, but it, it just it felt organic. It just You didn't notice it. The game was just happening, and you're just watching a baseball game. And it kind of felt like, I don't know, if you ever go to – YouTube and look up any random game from the 70s or 80s, it kind of felt like that. It just, it was zippy. And there was more action. I really enjoyed it. I liked it. So uh, it was a good, good first viewing. It really was. How how demonstrative were they when uh, Machado got the extra strike? I mean, because that's one of those things Bob and I were talking about. Like, we're still not used to the nine, or extra innings guy on second base. So I always think I missed something. Why is he on second? Uh, <laughs> missed a double when he went to the bathroom. Yeah, I went to the bathroom and yeah, they hit a double. But um, yeah, is that is that something that you know everybody at the ballpark could could kind of notice? Were they were they making a big deal out of it, or was it subtle? Yeah, you would notice if you were watching, uh, which is going to be the trick, right? <laughs> yeah. Because you know, right. not it. We're all trained to not always watch between, right? right. If that makes sense. Yeah. So you could be looking around or talking to somebody else, but the umpire was clear with the point. So, but it happened quickly, and then you just move on, and the timer starts for the next pitch again. So it, it wasn't like you don't stop the game and draw attention to it, but he. He was clear. He made the point, and 
a strike was called, and then you just kind of move along. So it was, it was really interesting to watch play out because we we're, we're looking around like, hey, did, did we just see it? It's like, yeah, we just did. Saw the first one. So, and, and none after that. And none really close. In fact, once the game got rolling uh, after the first inning, I just stopped watching the clock altogether. Mm. It just And there's one here in Peoria just to kind of give you how it looks. If you can picture the big center field blue wall is just off to the left of that from our view. And then there's one for the pitcher right behind home plate that's just kind of off to the side. And obviously you need one for the catcher and hitter to look at and one for the pitcher to look at. So that's kind of the view. But after the first inning, I just it just faded into the background for me. <laughs> Now, how did the, how did the pitchers look out there? I mean, Robbie Ray is not an overly deliberate guy, so I didn't imagine it would impact him much. But Diego Castillo pitched today, and he's the guy I always have fun watching because he adjusts every bit of art, every article of clothing he has on—the mitt, the hat, the pants, the mm-hmm. sleeves. He's got a ritual. So how did how he did does. that look? You know, it, it's funny. Uh, it, it was cut down, obviously. Uh, you know, it's funny. He's not the slowest. Mariners bullpen guy, I which know, is interesting. I heard that. Yeah, you... everyone always thinks he's the slowest just because he goes through his whole routine. Now, Paul Sewald and Andres Munoz are actually slower than Diego Castillo. It's funny, though, with, with bullpen guys is I don't know how much, and I know they'll adjust the routines and whatnot, but the spring is so different than a regular season game, especially when you're talking about back-end guys because it's one thing to, in the fourth inning, walk out in a, in a game here in Peoria and pitch against some random dudes for the Padres. It's a different thing when you're in the bottom of the eighth inning at home in a one-run game and you're facing Otani, for example, right? Where those are the kind of times where things get a little slower, especially with bullpen guys. So I think we'll see some adjustments, and we saw it from Diego today where – there was no issues at all. He worked quickly, and he was fine and pitched well. But I think the test, especially for bullpen guys, is going to be in those big moments with the game on the line where guys tend to get a little slower, which is why I think it's not a surprise to me that Seawald and Munoz would be two of the slower guys because they are usually the guys in those type of situations consistently. So to me, that's going to be the test, and we'll only see that in the regular season. You can't simulate that kind of thing in the spring. Gary, who a uh, couple of names that that stood out to you? You saw Mike Ford got a couple of hits, but uh, anybody else that uh, that you were surprised by? Prelander Barroa was the one who really stood out in this one. Uh, his stuff was electric. He was throwing in the high nineties. He was a name that you may have heard at some point during the off season when there were talks about who are the Mariners going to protect from the Rule 5 draft. And he was the one that came over last year in the Donovan Walton trade, and they were a guy that he protected. And we saw why they protected him, because he looked great. And it's the first day, but he pitched uh, early in the ballgame against some Padres dudes, and he looked phenomenal. So he's just kind of another lightning arm option in the bullpen. And I know there's not a ton of room right now when you look at uh, the way things sit, but you know how bullpens operate and guys like that with that kind of stuff, they can move quickly. And he certainly, and again, this is game one of spring, but uh, he looks like a guy with just that pure stuff that could be a factor. There's no doubt. Is it 
I think I've been calling him Prelander. Is it is it Prelander? Is that the proper yeah, one? Yeah. So I heard he says a prey. So okay, I'm well, going to go with that. I'll, I'll, I'll defer to him, the guy that <laughs> yeah. asked the name. <laughs> I, I heard him say it in front of me. He said prey. So I'm like, okay. oh, I'm going to go with you. We'll go with that. We'll go with that. Let's. And again, we don't want to read too much into one game where the you know the big names are only out there for a very limited amount of time. But there's curiosity about a few guys. One of them being Jared Kelnick. Now, listening, I didn't see it. Sounded like he made a nice catch mm-hmm. uh, in the outfield. How did he look up at the plate? Uh, nothing stood out. I mean, he looked he looked fine. <laughs> I guess I'd probably say that about most guys in game stance, one of, I mean, of any, spring. Any tweaks to his stance? He's a guy who's who's messed around with different stances, uh, swing. Every anything look different to you? Yeah, it was you know without it was hard to tell from my angle because I didn't have the monitor when I was watching him too, which I kind of need for that kind of thing because I'm just looking from our angle. I'm kind of right. looking at his back, so it's it's tough to tell stance wise. He did make a nice catch in left field, which. Uh, is easier said than done here, especially with the sunshine and the wind and everything else. It can get pretty brutal out there. So that was great, which is, I, I think, something we expect. You know, no matter what happens at the plate, I, I think, at least I do, I expect really good defense from him in the outfield because we've seen that. So, And that's not a small thing, especially when you consider the configuration of the outfield. So that was good to see. Uh, I think we'll learn more as the spring continues about you know what kind of what he looks like and adjustments he's made. Hey, Gary, how long have you been down there? Uh, three days. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I just you know just seeing the guys interact. The thing I always love about going down for spring, and uh, I haven't done it in a while, but just you know you're right outside where the clubhouse is, and you mm-hmm. see guys come out. You have conversations. You kind of get a feel for you know what uh, what what kind of a team it is, and. Anything uh, as far as that goes, as far as just the chemistry or the interactions or anything, any any stories or anything that stands out? You know, it feels really similar. And I guess that's not a big surprise because, you know, things change from year to year. But you think about just the core group is returning. I mean, there's a lot of guys coming back. In fact, you know, we could go guy by guy and come up with a 26-man roster pretty easily just with the guys that are returning. So, and there's new guys in the mix, obviously, but uh, Tay Oscar seems like uh, really fun to have around. Same with Colton Wong as well. It just seems like a really fun group, and they have a lot of those characteristics from last year that we all observed uh, with the chemistry and just having fun with one another. And those are the kind of stories we've heard so far, just a group that really gets along and likes one another and plays for one another and that sort of thing. And I I expect to see more of that this year. And winning certainly helps with that. And we saw that a lot last year, and I think we'll see it again this year. Hey, as far as the lineup goes, Gary, and uh, again, Mm. I have to keep throwing out the disclaimer. I understand it's only one game and everything, but... Hey, it's only one game, but this is the only game we have to talk about, right? That's exactly right. What what can we do? I'm thinking this will be an easier conversation in a couple of weeks, maybe. (laughs) Uh, But but I'm I'm just curious, they they lead off uh, Colton Wong, which I thought was interesting because I had been, you know, kind of not kicking and screaming, but just saying, listen, Julio's a good leadoff hitter. He, He did a great job, but he's your best hitter and I'd like to see him in a position where he might more consistently have opportunities to drive runners in. And maybe if your seven, eight, nine guys aren't that solid, he's going to be coming up with the bases empty a lot. Anyway, he, he's hitting in the two spot today, which I thought was interesting. Do you see that perhaps being a thing for the regular season? I know Scott's going to mess with it during spring, but what what are your expectations and what would you like to see in the way of a batting order? 
So I'm with you on this. I think this is a really interesting question where he's going to be. I think Julio is going to hit one or two. He's going to be one or two at, at wherever that may be. And the question is, if he hits two, and this is what I've been wondering, so who is going to be the leadoff man if Julio is going to hit two? And I found it interesting that Colton Long uh, was at the top. It, because you look at the lineup kind of guy by guy, there aren't a lot of natural fits, I yeah. think, at the top of the order of Julio hits second. So I guess that's the one thing. And maybe it's, you know, Julio hits leadoff against lefties when Wong isn't in there against the lefty. Maybe it's a, a shifting sort of thing, and Julio's going to bounce back and forth between one and two, which I'm fine with playing the matchups that way. But uh, whatever the case, you want Julio to bat as much as possible. And you know, that's kind of my philosophy. I'm not necessarily concerned about the order of guys. I am interested in getting your best guys at the top to get the most plate appearances. So that's where I'm at. Right. Uh, and that's why I think Julio's going to hit one or two. And I'm fine with him hitting in either spot. But I do think it's a really interesting question. And for the reason you just pointed out, I'm, I'm curious to see if he does hit second. Kind of, are we going to see... Like through the spring, are we going to see some different guys at the top, or is Wong going to get most of the cracks there, uh, batting in front of Julio? I, I'm curious, and not just that too. Let's see who is behind Julio if he's batting second, because you start to get some questions about how many right-handers do you want to bunch up in a row right after Julio? And I know these are a lot of uh, questions that will be answered as we go along, but I'm curious to see how that works. I mean, do, do you go Julio? France to Oscar or, you know, how many righties do you want there? So there's yeah. some interesting questions with lineup construction, I think. Yeah, you know, um, going we're going, coming down at the end of March, and uh, the most interesting man in the world is Matt Brash to me hmm. <laughs> because we have a guy yes. from Driveline telling us about in Major League Baseball history, he has the best slider and, you know, have you got a chance to to look at him and what what are some of the what are some of the storylines that you're really curious about? I love Matt Brash. I think the whole thing is phenomenal. Everything about him, he's great. I love the fact that you could watch him walking down the street and he'd look like just anybody in the world, yeah. and then he rips off this wicked stuff on the mound that is just sick. And I am so pumped to see what he's going to do this season. I think. I had a long conversation with him in the offseason. I think he has come into this year with so much confidence. I feel like he knows who he is. He has so much confidence in his stuff. He knows he's a guy, and he's going to go out and carve you to pieces. And he'll do it in a very nice Canadian way, but he's going to carve <laughs> you to pieces. And He'll say he, sorry. Yeah, that that's exactly it. It's funny because... Uh, the Mariners are playing Team Canada coming up, and he's going to be on Team Canada. And oh. what I was curious about is, so who on the Mariners do you want to face? Because I assume we've got to see Brash in a Canadian uniform against the Mariners. And, you know, he kind of laughed about it, and he's like, oh, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind facing maybe JP and Ty France and kind of laughed in his very Canadian way and maybe get a strikeout. <laughs> it's like, yeah, <laughs> of course that's what you want to do. But it is the way he moves the ball is really amazing. Just the the uh, the life on it, and how everyone's a little different. You know, it's not the the curveball and the slider are different than one another. And then 
one slider after another can be different on top of that. He, he just never gives hitters the same look with all that wicked stuff. I just think Munoz and Brash have potential to develop into just a one-two punch that is dynamite and perhaps the best in baseball, if I can be so bold saying that. I just mm-hmm. The stuff between the two is just icky. Uh, you know, I think part of it with uh, with Brash maybe is it's kind of like Mac McClung, who was the uh, the slam dunk contest winner. I mean, you look at that guy and like you said, it's just maybe that's what makes it uh, part of it that makes it so ridiculous that he's throwing that because I've seen Brash up close. Like he, mm-hmm. he looks like he's 13 years old and yeah. yeah, just not a big guy at all. I think he's like 180 pounds. I mean, that, that, is that part of it? I think so. It is honestly, it's one of my favorite things about baseball. You know, you look at players in the NBA, and it's like, well, you know, I mean, six, seven, seven. You know, right, it's right. just you know, freak. Same with the NFL, right? But in, in baseball, you get so much variety about how guys get it done. I mean, you see a guy like Julio walk to the plate, and it's like, yeah. I mean, look at him and Matt <laughs> Brash, who just he just looks like regular a dude. Joe. You know, yeah, that's exactly it. And he's ripping off wicked stuff. In the meantime, you know, it's, it's all different, right? It, it's, guys go about it in, in very different ways, and you just never know. And I do think that's part of it is just uh, if you had never seen him pitch, right, and you're watching him for the first time, that's not what you would expect when you're watching him walk to the mound, mm-hmm. what you'd end up seeing with the pure stuff. Hey, it's wh- ridiculous. Where, how are you feeling about this rotation? Because, man, it, it seems like, and you always got to throw in the qualifier if they're healthy, which mm-hmm. last year was a, a minor miracle that nobody missed a start. Just crazy. But this this is, they have the opportunity to be one of the best, like a top five rotation in all of baseball. And and then you bring, you start talking about the young guys coming up from AAA that Jerry's very high on and just... There, there's a wealth of talent there. Is there any, is there any concern? I remember talking to Ryan Roland Smith about. It. He was, he thought, yeah, you can't count on that health. You got to bring in depth. But it feels like if some of these young guys pop, that you've got that depth along with Flex in there. And you know, we'll see what happens with Marco if one of the young guys emerges. But how are you feeling just overall about the rotation? Well, I think you have to feel great about it. The health is always the qualifier, and that's not just for the Mariners. I mean, that's for every team in baseball, right? Uh, and you're right to point out last year, it's it's pretty absurd that they went through the season without missing a start. Uh, and you would like to think that would happen year in and year out. That's a, really a hard thing to replicate. Uh, I know they'll try. and We'll see what happens. But uh, I am, I don't know about you guys, I am so looking forward to an entire year with Luis Castillo. Yes. He is He has just so quickly become one of my favorite all-time guys to watch on the mound. The whole thing is phenomenal. Just the pure stuff, the way he goes about it, the joy he pitches with, uh, the arm pump, the flare, the whole thing is so great. Uh, and just having him every five days during the course of the year, I think, is tremendous. And I think you're right. I think the sense I get is this group has a lot of confidence in the young depth. Whether you're talking about Hancock or Miller or Dollard or Wu, we've heard a lot of those names mentioned, and I think there's a lot of confidence. And, of course, Flex and Marco at the back of the rotation, I think they have a lot of confidence in those young guys. And it's amazing to think about for me. You know, I was thinking about last year, and we saw so many young guys pop and make significant 
contributions. Going down the list, Julio, everyone knows the names, Julio and, and Cal and Kirby and Gilbert, of course. And just to think about all of that from within the system and how the Mariners went so long, it was kind of Felix and Seeger. Those were the guys that had made huge impacts from inside the system. And now, you know, that was the backbone of the Mariners last year going to the postseason. And I just think they have a lot of confidence, especially on the pitching side and what they're doing and how guys can perform when they get here. And not that every guy is going to be George Kirby when they first get here, because that's ridiculous to think about, because <laughs> who can do that? But they do have, I think, confidence in that depth. You know, one of the things we heard uh, about Luis Castillo, who you're just talking about uh, from service. Well, number one, I guess once the season ends, he just goes out on a fishing boat, yeah. apparently, <laughs> and, and disappears. But you know, he, he said that he brought to the clubhouse kind of uh, this like hope or you know some confidence to know that hey, you guys can be really good. Like this is a really good team, and you know, it kind of kind of raised the bar as far as what's possible with this team. Yeah, in his presence. I mean, he is a number one. That's the thing. That's a game changer when you have a guy like that. And we saw it all in Toronto, right? Going against that lineup in the postseason, everything on the line, and he just dealt. That's a number one right there. And that's a guy that you know what you're going to get every five days, and it gives, gives your team confidence. And just the way he goes about it, too. He's a fun guy. Guys love having him around. He's, he's the whole thing. He's everything. He's exactly what you want. And he's taking the ball for the Mariners every five days for the next uh, next several years, which is great. Hey, uh, before we let you get out, is there one player in particular that you're most curious about? Not anxious. We're all anxious to see what Julio's going to turn into and all of sure. that. But one that you're just like, okay, this I need to have some of my questions answered by this guy. Well, I think Kelnick is the obvious answer. And, again, I don't think spring is the time to really have those questions answered. That's more of a regular season thing. So I kind of – what I enjoy the most about spring, because I'm one that the record doesn't matter in the spring, whether the Mariners win or lose a game, that's not important. It's kind of what happens during the game. And for veterans, it's like they're getting ready for the season. Yeah. Whether a veteran it's 200 or 700 – it is what it is. You know, Suarez, it's not going to sway me what he does in the spring. So I'm always interested in getting looks at the young guys, guys that we hear about and talk to during the course of the season and never see play. So, like, when Miller takes the mound, I get really excited. I see Wu on the mound. You know, guys like that, Hancock. Those are the guys that I'm, I'm really interested in seeing for the first time. And Because who knows when we'll see them in the regular season. Uh, I am now interested to whatever the Mariners claim a bullpen arm or bring in a bullpen arm from another organization. I've just learned now, and Seawald's a perfect example of that, is Mm -hmm. they have, they just really know what they're doing when it comes to arms, rotation, and bullpen. And so I am always intrigued by any arm that they claim, especially in the bullpen. So when we see Topa for the first time here in a couple of days, I'm just really intrigued by what we're going to see because they target guys for a reason, and we've seen it pay off in a really big way. So those are, uh, beyond kind of the rule changes and everything, those are the things that I'm most interested in and watching during the course of the spring. 
Gary, good stuff. We appreciate it. I'm sure we'll be talking a lot as spring training just getting underway. Can't wait to see this team in person and uh, looking forward to talking again. Thanks so much, man. Yeah, look forward to it. I got nothing going on down here but to talk to you guys, so you can call anytime. Uh, we're going to bother you all the time else. now. Keep, yeah, please keep, do. Keep the ringer on. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Thanks, See you, Gary. buddy. <laughs> talk to you guys later. There you go. There's Gary Hill, part of the Mariners broadcast after game one of the uh, of spring training. And, and just cool to get perspective on the, the clock. And a lot of people will get through some of your texts. People weighing in on how they felt about the game and the speed of the game. You guys can do that. 866-979-3776. Powered by Mac and Jack's Brewing Company. If you were listening, if you were able to stream it somewhere, what would you think? What's your what's your takeaway from uh, the first, first time taking the field out here with the new rules in place? We'll come back, talk about the game, talk about the lineup, what we saw out there, what we heard today. That's next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. I don't know if I mentioned earlier, but uh, coming up today at 5 o'clock, we'll continue with our Seahawks alumni series and bring in the one, the only Kurt Warner. Kurt with a C, former running back of the Seahawks. will join. I'm looking forward to that. I've never spoken to Kurt. C-Dub is one of the nicest guys, really. Um, you know, I have a quick story on him. I remember my rookie year, I came in for the mini camp, which was right after he got drafted. Yeah. And so we were, we were doing these one-on-one drills where we were having to cover the running backs. And I'm, as a rookie over there, and I'm looking at, like, it's Kurt Warner. i yeah. got to cover him. And he tries to run like an out and up, and I jammed him, and my hand slipped and went up in his neck, and I kind of, you know, I totally fouled him. And he was like, man, come on, Rook, like that. And I was like, oh, man, this guy's a hard ass. And he was he was the nicest guy in the world. There's just, you know. Come on, rookie. Every rookie gets yeah, you know a little bit yeah. of that, a little bit of that stuff. But yeah, what a what a great guy and just yeah, awesome. I mean, I, I know a lot of people remember watching number twenty eight running in the kingdom. It, it's I mean, it's hard not to sit there and daydream about how what he may have been if not for that big knee injury. Yeah, that was was that his second year? I think so because he can't. I have to look up his stats, but I think he came back and had some big seasons after that. But everybody sort of talked about his career being impacted by that year. Yep. By that that injury, I should say, because that's what early '80s that that happened. So, you know, medical advancements not where they are now, and maybe more of a more of a death knell as it, as it were back then. But yeah, I'm looking forward to talking to him. He's uh, one of the greats to wear a Seahawks uniform. So we will talk to him coming up at five o'clock today. You guys can text in your thoughts on uh, the Mariner game. Just not so much the. I mean, if you want to weigh in on performances, you can do that. But it's it uh, to me, this is more about. What do the new rules look like as opposed to what do the players look like? This is the, only, the starters, the big names are only out there for a short time today, a couple innings. Um, but to me, I was just curious about the pace, curious about if we're going to hear anything about the bases, if we're going to hear anything about pickoff moves or, you know, just what stood out. And we got the first violation from a batter, Manny Machado, who, who you know, went past the clock there. And Robbie Ray, I was reading his comments online, like I was saying, that he could hear the umpire saying, let's go. Get in there, get in there, and yeah. you know, so the pitcher can hear it. Certainly, the hitter can hear it, and he just took a strike. You know, they, they, I guess they showed the the video. I saw the the umps looking up to, I guess, the scorekeeper or whoever, and okay. gesturing and ah, letting them know. I should ask Gary Hill because we speculated on this when somebody's given a strike or whatever. How do you record that? Like, obviously, the pitcher. 
I mean, does the pitcher get credit for it? Yeah, yeah, because if you it's still three strikes, you're out. So, and I don't know how how often it's going to happen. Obviously, what I mean, the first game, and it's only been one. Yeah, uh, only one. So maybe it's not even worth noting. But I'm just curious if that's going to be a separate stat that is that recorded somewhere differently. You don't get credit for it, or do I should ask Gary Hill because I know he would know the answer to that. Yeah, because at the end of you can look at box scores after games, and it'll show like the starter Robbie Ray. He went seven innings, this many hits, this many walks, runs, and it'll show a pitch. Total pitches, say, 98, and it'll show this many strikes, this many balls. Right. So does he get credit for that strike? Is he mm-hmm. going to get a, is a pitch thrown? Or, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see oh, how they Yeah, and I was talking that. about, like, the, the walks. Is it part of his whip? Does it go into that if you... If he violates the... Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Pitcher. So, yeah, anyway, is that a great question, Bob? That's is a that, good one. That's no, about it's not what great. You were, you were about to say that. Uh, somebody, 360, said, I uh, heard that we have a Wyman on our team. Yes. yes that Wy- and what number were they? He was wearing number 92. Now, he, he, smell, he spells his name in a really odd, un, yeah, non He spells his name wrong, way. but, uh, yeah, <laughs> welcome to the family. W-E-I-M-A-N, but, yeah, no no relation because yeah. we don't – our name's not spelled the same. And, of course, he's <laughs> the one that gave up the runs today. So, you know, number 92. Oh, yeah, oh, great, geez. great. Count on a Wyman. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, some text coming in. Um, people, people saying, uh, let's see, Kevin and Lake Stevens. I'm 50. I like it. I think they're overhyping it right now. Uh, this one from the three, six. Oh, I'm, I'm excited because now I only have to be at bars for two and a half hours versus four hours on a Monday night. Finding excuses to tell my wife why I'm on my 11th beer will be much easier now. <laughs> well, if you're at a bar, I certainly hope you're Ubering home yeah. after an 11, uh, beer night, but yeah, three, six. Oh, I'll have to drink faster this year at the ballpark. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, yeah. Right. Again, hopefully you're uh, you're riding and you're not driving. But uh, love the tempo, says the four two five. Like baseball when I was a kid in the seventies, before the human rain delays, like Mike Hargrove and Nomar Garcia Parra came into play. Human um, rain delay. I love that. The first time I'd heard that one was from uh, Marco talking about Adam Ray. Yeah, when Adam Ray <laughs> threw out the first pitch, he called him the human rain delay. It's like, come on, let's go. Yeah, yeah there were yeah. there are a lot of those guys, man. Uh, Seven two four says too quick. Get off my lawn. <laughs> so. Yeah, I'm I'm with I'm with him. I'm sorry. I I don't know. I just it was it was just a little bit too fast. I mean, just a little. I mean, I think. And one of the things I think Gary said, and then also you heard Rick and Dave talking about, is don't look down. Yeah, you got to be paying attention. So, and that—that's the thing. I, you know, I take buddies that I haven't seen in a while. I got a great friend named Greg Heck that actually is going to be down at spring training. And you know, we went to a game, sat in the Diamond Club, which was really cool. Mm-hmm. Get to do that maybe once or twice a year, and then. You know, we're we're sitting there having a nice conversation about our kids and everything, and in between talking baseball. But you know, we're, you're able to actually look at the person. And, no, yeah. you got to keep your eyes out there, man. You'll be talking at the field, at the just field, hoping he's listening. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this year, I'll be able to tell my wife I'm watching a lot less baseball. Okay, mm-hmm. I guess. Uh, let's see the four two five. I like the pace on TV. Tough to listen to on the radio. Too fast. Count went from one and one. Next, I heard two and two. 
Where did the pitches go? <laughs> well, and, and for Rick and Dave, you know, and anybody that's doing radio, it's it's going to be tougher. I yeah. mean, there's a lot of storytelling that goes on in there. And Rick Riz always talks about painting a picture. And that's why he always says, I'll see you on the air tomorrow because, you know, they try to paint a picture. So it's going to be a little bit more difficult. Now nobody cares about the broadcasters, right? Yeah. They're but, not worried about what they have to go through. But, yeah, I mean, I enjoy listening to some of those uh, some of those stories and especially when, like, Goldie is getting it, you know, trying to draw it out of Blowers, you know, get him to to tell a funny story or something. So, yeah, but look, that's one game, folks, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Let's see, 425, the pitch clock is an abomination. As a purist, this is a blight on the sport. Baseball should have stayed true to its fans. Yeah. I think they're trying to grow that fan base. I get get what they're saying. I'm kind of leaning the traditional side, but I embrace parts of this. But I get it. This is a sport that's lagging in terms of attendance and, and popularity with the youth. You're trying to get that next generation of fan in the in the, to the game, whether they're playing it or just a fan, a spectator in front of the TV or at, at the ballpark. You know, the young people that I see at the ballpark are all out in center field at the, what is it, the bullpen or the pen out there? At, at T-Mobile? At yeah, T-Mobile. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's like the, it's like a big you know, singles club out there, right? Yeah. Like a, a pickup joint or something. I mean, uh, you, you look at them, a lot of them aren't even watching the game. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't, well, we'll see. Obviously, uh, just one game. But to me, it was a little bit of, uh, I, I enjoy the pace of baseball. 4-2-5, I want a day at the park, not two hours, especially when you're already $200 plus in before you even get lunch or beverages. Yeah, they should lower the prices, right? That'll happen. <laughs> yeah, that's, that'll happen. That's an idea they'd love, Dave. Present that one. I like the idea of the, the one guy that says, oh, I got to drink faster now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Funny. This is this is one you could have written. Uh, 206 says, for starters, I do like the pitch clock idea. That being said, it felt a little too fast for me. I do enjoy the laid back pace of the game, and it seemed even our radio guys couldn't finish their sentences. It felt like 10 to 15 percent too quick. Maybe give them five or seven more seconds. One man's opinion. Yeah. Here we go. Cranky old fart here. This is from the 509. Uh, Welcome to the club, by the way. Uh, It just felt abbreviated, didn't last long enough, too fast for this old fart. So, yeah, I I think there's also, there was another guy at the 206 that did the math. We're being robbed of over 5,000 minutes of baseball. (laughs) Jeez. I love it. I'll trust their math. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And who knows? Listen, maybe, maybe they'll they'll adjust to feedback if it's an overwhelming hey this is too much from the fan this is yeah. about the fans they're not they're not trying to appease the pitchers or the hitters they're trying to get the people that are right. saying this game's too slow there's not enough action that's why i don't watch that's who they're trying to appeal to so if that group says hey this needs to change or that needs to change i think they're open to that well i mean they've been doing this in the minor leagues did did we hear any complaints about that i mean i i wonder if it's just like a matter of just getting used to it yeah yeah i think that is and and we'll see you know at the end of the season are we all used to it not even thinking of it anymore is it becoming a problem and and some somehow it's impacted a game in a negative way for the mariners well We'll see. We we had that conference call with Raul Labanez, who's part mm-hmm. of baseball management uh, yesterday, which was really good, really informative stuff. But you know, and I asked him, "Hey, what has there been any opposition to this? How how do players feel about it?" And he said it's 
positive for the most part. Everybody, there's never a consensus, but that everybody seemed to be in favor of it. And and we'll see what the fans think because again, that's that's who you're trying to get. That's who you're trying to please as the fan base. So, yeah, interesting first day out there to say the least. All right, coming up, a couple of former Seahawks headline our Y Man of the Week. That's coming up next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on Seven Ten. Why, man? Why? Lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. He's a habitual line stepper. What were you thinking? What are you doing? Why are you the way that you are? It's the Why Man of the Week. We do it every week here with Wyman and Bob. Why Man is presented by Mazda of Everett. And this features a couple of uh, former Seahawks, Dave. Uh, we, we got into this earlier in the week, but not everybody hears it, everything we do, as much as they should. Uh, yeah. you, can find, you can find everything we do on the podcast page at seattlesports.com. If you miss a moment, you miss a lot. So, subscribe. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Subscribe. <laughs> uh, but we, we played this earlier, and the more I thought about this, the more this one kind of bothered me, Dave. I just this is uh, Marshawn Lynch and Lendale White. They were on a podcast, and I can't remember which podcast, but uh, they were talking about uh, what happened in the aftermath of the Super Bowl that they lost, and everybody's mad about the play call, and the, you know we've we've heard the stories over and over and over. The team had a hard time bouncing back, and and Marshawn sort of takes you behind what he was asked to do by by Pete and John and upper management there. I don't need all of this what you're giving to these these young guys to get them ready. You know how I'm cut. You know how I'm wired. I ain't got to say. On Sunday, you know what you're gonna get out of me. And then I'm going to do what I need to do to get to next Sunday. Now, let's be cool with that. But that's what I was saying. It's the same. It was so repetitive. I know it was the same. It was like no turnover Tuesday, (laughs) something Wednesday, Uh, uh, something uh, Thursday. uh, uh, But it's like Friday. That's what I'm saying. But after four or five years of this, you got vets that's be looking like, bro, I need something else. Yeah, that's a different one. They're they're complaining about Pete's message getting stale. There was the one that Marshawn also said in that same interview that, they wanted him to be the guy to speak to the team to kind of get everybody back together because everybody was so upset about what happened. And he, he said he felt like Pete owed the team an apology. And the more I thought about that, I'm thinking, what the hell are you talking about, man? He didn't owe you an apology. Yeah, the play didn't work, but d- does he have to apologize? Hey, I, I, I screwed you guys over. No, he's the coach. They're out there making the best play call based on what they're seeing. That's how they get that job. That's what they've done to earn that job is they know football, and they're looking at what the Patriots – and I don't love it, but I understand it. You know, based on here's what the Patriots did, here's what we're going to do to counter that. It's the it's the chess game. Yeah. So somehow it doesn't work, so i got to come to you and say, hey, I'm sorry. I'm he doesn't play for you. You play for him. Yeah, I'm down on that. And at 4 o'clock, we'll talk another uh, uh, habitual line stepper, <laughs> uh, you know, about staying in your lane. You know, you coach, you play, you own, owners own, players play, coaches coach. I mean, I don't think that, yeah, first of all, what we did here there, though, Marshawn says, you know, all that stuff about the motivational, that's not for me. Right. Like I'm a veteran. I'm 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 past that. But then later he says, you got to give me something. I'm like, well, wait, I thought you just said that you're good and you don't need all the, you know, uh, rah, rah stuff. So, you know, um, I don't know. Look, Pete Carroll's message, first of all, it works. 
10 out of 13 years. I mean, they, they go to the playoffs. You look at his record at USC, um, you know, and he's always appealed to the younger guys. I mean, when he was at USC, he was famous for bringing freshmen in and, mm-hmm. you know, getting them, getting them going. So, yeah, that that part, but especially the, the apology. Yeah, I, this is, I found the cut. Okay, let, let's hear it. First time that we had a conversation was me, him, the GM, the owner, and my uh, and my agent, and then the owner's right hand man, rest in peace, Paul Allen. But the conversation, you feel me though? It, it wasn't between me and him. It was a group thing, and it was more so like where they felt, you feel me though? I would be of some assistance and getting that back was that they wanted me to holler at, you know, feel me, a certain amount of individuals, the core guys. And I'm like, well, the only thing they want is they want this to be sincere with an apology to them. And if that don't happen, then you're going to have some problems. They want an apology. Yeah, and I, I just have <laughs> such a hard time believing that, um, okay, he comes and says, hey, guys, I'm sorry about that that call there. Um, first of all, I don't know that Pete called it. Um, he had a chance to override it, I suppose. Him and Tom Cable. But all of a sudden... You, you're just going to go, okay, we're good. Now we can go win some Super Bowls. Once we got our apology, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I And don't, that's not, I mean, coaches are not in the business of apologizing for what they do. Yeah, well, they're not going to act subservient to players. I mean, yeah, they do things that don't work. And I've heard coaches take the blame sort of all-encompassing, like, I didn't I didn't coach well today. I got to do better. Yeah. I got to do better. I got to get these guys in the right spots. And I got to make sure that message is clear. And they'll they'll do it in that fashion. But to sort of go in there on, on bended knee and be like, yeah. hey, guys, I'm sorry. so sorry I called that play. I don't know what got into me. Yeah. I don't know what I was doing. I Come on, give me a break with that. Now, the other one is uh, Lendale White. Uh, a guy that that Pete obviously had a connection with as a teenager, played for him at USC, brought him in here uh, to to find a spot on the Seahawks roster. He ends up getting cut, and he had a problem with the the manner in which he found out. I land in here, Vegas, for Memorial Weekend. As I'm going in Memorial Weekend Hard Rock, I go to the Hard Rock, and I'm looking. My name's scrolling on ESPN. No way. Oh, God. I'm like, I called Drew Rosenhaus immediately. He said, oh, man, you got to call Pete. I don't know what the f*** is going on. Right. This is your guy from college. This is my co- I've been knowing this man for my whole, you know, this is a dude that you think that this is how I know what kind of guy he is, because you would think that at least I don't give a damn. Nobody owes you nothing in this game. But you would think that's somebody that you've been knowing, you know, since you were 17 years old. He knows your mom, your grandma that, you know, he sat in your living room. Real talk. So in you Denver. Think, you would think there was some type of hey man. You ain't handling the way it is. No, I get to Vegas. I look on the thing. I'm hanging out with, you know how it is, Memorial Weekend. All the homies there. Everybody's here. Can you imagine how that feel, though? He was embarrassed. Yeah, he was embarrassed. I don't, you know, I don't know that that, that Pete necessarily, I, I think, first of all, Pete and John do a really good job when players head for the door. Mm-hmm. I mean, they apologized for the Bobby Wagner thing when they really didn't need to mm-hmm. because Bobby made it, you know, he saved a lot of money. Really smart guy to be able to contra- uh, you know, negotiate his own contract. But there's a there's a barrier there that, you know, you can – it's a nicer way to release somebody. You don't have to hear about it, you know, directly. But I don't know that um, – wasn't Lindale White kind of a, a problem when he came here, like he thought he was going to, I'm trying yeah, to remember. I don't remember his attitude. I do remember him. He had lost a bunch of weight because he'd gotten a little overweight. Because remember, he was part of, what do they call it? Smash and Dash mm. in Tennessee. Him and Chris Johnson. Remember that? Yes. They called it Smash and Dash. And uh, 
so he had some success, and then I think he got he got a bit overweight, and then he lost weight. And I, I think I and somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they asked him, "What'd you do to lose this weight?" I stopped drinking tequila. Mm. So, yeah, maybe not maybe not the best way to talk about how you got in shape, but okay, okay. So I don't I don't know what his work ethic was like. I don't know what kind of a you know practice guy he was. It didn't work out. I if out of these cuts I played, that's the one I can kind of take his side a bit and go, yeah. You know, you've known this guy since you're 17 years old. He did come to your house, recruit you. You had your old college experience. Yeah, maybe he could have called you and said, "Hey, hey, Lindale, this isn't this isn't going to work. We're we're making a move. We're going to have to let you go. You know, I'll do whatever I can to talk to other teams or whatever to help you, but it's it's not going to happen here in Seattle." Yeah, I kind of I kind of get that. I, I he and he said it. Hey, nobody owes you anything here, but I understand the sort of expectation that man. I've known this guy since I was a kid, and he. I find out by looking on the TV. I would think that Pete would uh, not really care that much about this one. I mean, you know, I think I think a lot of times it could be like a miscommunication or maybe he did call him and his phone was busy or turned off or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, look, no player likes the coach that they went out on. You know, like right. for me, Mike Shanahan, not my favorite guy. Yeah. Not my favorite guy. Yeah. No, so I, I, I get that one a little more. The whole day, he should have come and apologized to the team. I'm out. I'm out on that one. All right, coming up, there's a lot of news involving two former Seahawks today. We'll get into that next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710.